from the fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel in Dublin, Ireland. You're listening to the award-winning What's the Story podcast. Now, here's your hosts, Danny Murray and Graham Merrow Merrigan. Hello, everybody, and welcome along to chapter 71 of What's the Story podcast. My name is Danny Murray. And alongside me, sensational host, Graham <laughs> Merlow Merrigan. I see what you did there. You see what I done there? Sensational host. Sensational host. Uh, we are coming to you. Every little helps, Danny. Hey. We are coming to you from the beautiful surroundings of Fitzpatrick Castle Hotel here in the metropolis of Cliney, South County, Dublin. The greatest castle hotel on the planet. And I'm willing to fight any castle that says otherwise. You can check out the grill at the dungeon. Or you can check out the library bar. Or you can book yourself in. Treat yourself. Treat your partner. Come along. Have a nice bite to eat. A lovely tasty beverage. And then go up and sleep in a beautiful comfortable bed. With the beautiful rolling hills to one side. The beautiful sea views to the other. What more could you want from a hotel, Graham? Nothing more. Exactly. A few but rolling donuts. Which you can get if you go on a little day trip, day trip, day trip <laughs> out of town. Hop on the 59 that stops right outside the hotel. Or get in the air coach. The Expressway. Air coach. Yeah. Expressway. Oh, air right. coach. Whew, gone. Out of town. Pop into the rolling donut for some tasty, tasty donuts. Unreal donuts. And then, uh, you oh. know. Ran by Bally, two Bally Brackers, Amy and Lisa Quinlan. On the girlos. On the girlos. Fair play to them. Fitzpatrickcastle.com. Check it out. Check them out on Facebook as well. Um, fantastic people, fantastic surroundings, unbelievable. Must say a big congratulations to Alicia, who is the girl who helps us up here all the time. Books us in, gives us our room, makes sure that Meryl's rider is taken care of. Blue M&M's only in a jar. <laughs> and she's heading off on maternity leave, so congratulations to her. Congratulations. And I hope everything goes well. Yep. This chapter we, is... Will we congratulate someone else as well on a letter? Yeah, actually, you know, before I continue with this chapter, uh, not just on a letter, on a career, yep. on a, 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 career, a no-nonsense career for a no-nonsense individual and a gent, despite okay. what he might do to you from time to time. Yeah, torments the life out of me, yeah. sure look. Pat Padjo Flynn, Bora legend. Retired last Friday, I was at the match, yep. me and a couple of lads went. Friday the 28th of October. Coincidentally, the last match was against Shamrock Rovers. Yeah. Down in Longford. Who he enjoyed quite a successful spell with. Two leagues, two Santa Cups, or one Santa Cup, sorry. One Santa Cup, yeah. Um, we're going to have Pajo on. Yep. And we're going to talk about all the things he couldn't talk about the first time we had him on. <laughs> yeah. Was that chapter chapter 8 or chapter 9, I think? Oh, God, yeah. It was way back, single digits. Way back when. He... Uh, Put out a, a a very viral letter there on Saturday last Saturday evening, yeah. Um, retirement letter, retirement letter, and all the kind of news, sports news, and clickbait lads. Yeah. Uh, it's gone super viral. It's gone super viral. BBC match of the day. Check it out. Yeah. Pajo Flynn retirement letter. Ian Roy. Ian Roy. Commenting on it and everything. Shared it with a few love hearts and a few claps. Yeah. If um, emojis are great, aren't they? Emojis are brand. Remember when we had Pete Carroll on? Yeah. What was that about chapter fifty something? 
But uh, we had Pizzi on and we talked about how you communicate only through emojis now. Yeah. Pizzi's favourite was the little red dancing lady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how he knows things are going to go down. <laughs> so if we had to describe this particular chapter in an emoji, it would definitely be little red dancing lady. Yes. Um, yeah, Pat Pajo Flynn returning to Watch Story, Pag- uh, Story Podcast. I can't talk tonight. Pajo Flynn returning to Watch Story Podcast very soon. Exactly what I was trying to say. Thanks very much for saving me, Graham. It's, no problem. It's auditory skills like that that have landed you prestige acting roles. <laughs> and have landed you not only on the small screen, but on the big screen. God, imagine Rocco came back. Oh, my man, listen. If Rocco comes back, there'll be three parties in the border. <laughs> but... Oop, Rocco. As, as some of you may have seen, and by some of you I mean pretty much everybody, because it's speaking of things going viral. American features in an ad for Tesco. Tesco, Ireland, yeah. To the hosts. Madonna's man, but sure look. Where he salutes his grandparents for their wonderful hospitality of a festive period. So the directive, wa- the directive was. Obviously, thanking your host, so they ring you up and they're like, "Graham, what do you do?" I got the phone call because of uh, the previous ads I was in. The one for Sky. Yeah, I think it was Sky. Yeah, or the marriage referendum one. Marriage referendum where one. Where I'm yeah. writing on a desk. Yeah. And Beautiful was, handwriting, by the way. <laughs> well, you see me handwriting this, don't you? You do, yeah. Um, where they just said, "Look, a supermarket chain is putting in loads of money to this ad." I said, have they got enough money to afford me? They said, yeah, money joking, didn't say that. Um, but they were saying that um, it's thanking, what do you, they asked me what to do Christmas Day, I said, I've gone to my grandparents since I was a baby for mm. Christmas dinner. They go, cool, can you write a 130 word letter thanking yeah. your grandparents about putting on the day and whatever. So wrote a letter, got back to me straight away, said it was amazing. Then I had a Skype interview with the director, yeah. um, Ken, who was a gent. And after Ken's Skype interview, I got the call to say I was successful. So a production crew came out to the house and filmed it on a Saturday for about eight hours. My dad was like, they were in the gaff for eight hours and they only did two blade minutes. Yeah, but like, what a two die, minutes. you dope. But you see, the, the brilliant thing about this is that people will get you in an audio format on WTS pod. Yeah. They will get you on the small screen if they were fortunate enough to Skype plus Rocco's first run in Fair City. And only run to date. If they're fortunate enough to take that, they definitely will be watching it on replays over and over again. And now, all the way up to Christmas, it's the 2nd of November as we record this, Graham. Yeah. And all the way up to shagging Christmas, I'm going to have to see your mug. Not only... not the 5th only of January, sh- actually. Is it until the 5th of January? Yeah, 1st of November until the 5th of January. So from now until any time I not a telly box, I'm going to see your face. And it's, even if I go to the cinema... There's no escape. It's on the radio as well. I mean, what if I go to see a 3D film and there's your face? Be unreal. 3D beard nets coming at me. <laughs> I was watching it with me uh, grandfolks. They hadn't seen it on the telly the night it aired. So I said, I rang them up and I said, Do you want me to go up and I'll show you on the phone? They said, Yeah. They don't know all the, techn- the technical technology. Yeah. So I went up and they were over. Each grandparent was over each shoulder and they were watching it. Granny was a mess. Granddad gets a nervous cough when he gets emotional. Ah, Jesus. So he's like, <coughs> yeah, it's good. <coughs> it's good, it's good, it's good. <laughs> That's what Christmas is all about. Beautiful. So uh, then I was leaving and Emmerdale had just ended. And I said, it'd be gas if the ad came on now, wouldn't it, Granddad? I want you to know. The ad came on. Jesus. 
Someone oh, crack. I think it's brilliant, though. I mean, within 24 hours, Tesco Valley Brack had you outside signing autographs. <laughs> and uh, you're out partying with Justin Bieber then afterwards. <laughs> going you know, for, going know, for points with him, like. You know yourself, bud. I mean, not everybody would condone the Justin Bieber stuff, but, like, uh, look, I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast before. You have him download on your phone. You Spotify him all the time, so. I only know that one song. Baby, baby, baby. Ooh, I heard he's an ignorant pig. <laughs> I read um, I read Una Malali. Sorry, I just loved the way you just. I heard he's an ignorant pig. No, but straight in. When I go to watch a gig or watch a performance or whatever, yeah, I love interaction with the crowd or interaction with the audience. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the best bands ever in my in my my yeah, music genre is Oasis, and I've seen right. them endless times live. Mm-hmm. They. Anytime they were in Dublin, Liam would always talk to the crowd. No, yeah, would yeah. always talk to the crowd. Um, is is Bieber just to come out, plays the songs, gets off? Yeah, but he's quite cold. Like he's quite cold to the people that have spent hundreds of euro to go and see him. Like it's yeah. like, can you stop cackling there? I'm just trying to sing the song. Do you know what I mean? Really? Yeah, yeah. Una Malali wrote a piece in the Irish Times last uh, during his t- stay oh, over here. She's a great journalist. She is very good. But she wrote a piece about it and about him being so cold. And then I watched some YouTube clips. Or I came across some YouTube clips and... Uh, he says when he was actually watching Never Say Never, the Justin Bieber concert. <laughs> but he was quite... Uh, he just wasn't cr- very know? hospitable. It was almost, yeah, I mean, to perform and going home. Do you Jesus, know what I mean? I don't yeah. like that with art. It's real fake. But you were all right at points with him. <laughs> after your Tesco ad aired. After he's finishing the sunbeds. Yeah, yeah. Um, he doesn't know himself walking down Grafton Street and not getting annoyed by, ah, by stop, paparazzi. Stop, man, yeah, I know. That's that's why they all love coming over here. Mm. Sure, look at remember Kim and Kanye were walking around Port Leash going to the cinema. Yeah, yeah. Going in for the subway. Or Queen, it was. Queen B and Jay Z in the park in the north yeah, side yeah. of Dublin. The north side of Dublin. Not the south side. The north side. No, the north side. The wrong side. As the I wrong say. side. As I say, people in work have been giving me guff that were very south side orientated. It's because we're from the south side. And I've been getting guff about the borough. Okay, And people are now, as I walk by, commenting that I'm from the Shire. And I'm like, listen. What's the shore? What do you mean? It's because apparently I'm putting a name on an area that doesn't need that. Like the border doesn't need to be there. And I'm like, the border is is a long-standing, existing, well-established. We're loyal to the border. Exactly. Fact the people at the Burgrogers. Speaking of people loyal to the border, a uh, quick shout out and a quick get well soon to Mr. Keen Cowley. Yeah. Who had surgery recently. Uh, Keen, I hope that the... Uh, Limbs that you're going to be smashing people with end up pretty quick. And 2017, uh, bring it on, says you. All the best, man. Hope you're feeling better. And then what do we have on Saturday, Dan? We have a monster, monster day yeah, of sport. we do. Let's jump straight into it. Right, look, I, I, we're not bringing you one guest. We're bringing you two guests. Because whenever Conor McGregor fights, we try to bring you a special podcast. In the past, we've done a From Vegas. We've had Merrow in Vegas and me in Dublin because I couldn't afford to go. Uh, because I didn't get a Tesco ad to pay me millions. Um, we've had Bass Rutan. We have had Child Sonnen. We've had Connor's father, the brilliant Tony McGregor, two-time guest in this podcast and an all-round gent. Um, we always try to do something a little different, and this time is no exception. We've gone old school with the only triple crown winner in UFC history. The, he was the third man entered into the UFC Hall of Fame, the one and only Mr. Dan Severn. And, of course, the veteran voice of the Octagon, the one and only Mr. Bruce Buffer. Where Mental. would you get lads? Only podcast that will bring that to you. Buffer. Jesus. Unbelievable skills. 
So, Graham. Yes. UFC 205, the biggest card in history. You and I, we don't really do predictions. We've done it once or twice before. So, uh, like, I mean, look, I, I'm not a huge author. I'm a fan. Are we going to the whole card or the main card? We see this this card is so big. I like I've heard of every fighter, so I think we should go through the entire card. Yeah, yeah. Just quickly, I suppose. Yeah, quickly, exactly. the, quickly the prelims. We'll do exactly. We'll do a quick fire round on all the prelims, and then we get the main card, maybe a little bit more detail. Right, so we'll kick it's, off. It's 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 mental that no fighter has yet pulled out. You're gonna you've you've put the guy hickeys. You've put the guy hickeys on it. By the time this podcast goes out, five fights will have fallen off this card. <laughs> um. But this is one of the reasons why I didn't really commit to this card in terms of going over to it. Yeah. Because any card that you or I or me or Carl or Jono has committed to, it falls apart. I was having this conversation with Jono and Jono was trying to put the, the, the poo-poo on what I was saying. But um, after I was going through it, I managed to outstat Stato. Um, anybody who knows Jono Murray, my brother, will know and realise that he's incapable of having a discussion without bringing in a barrage of statistics. Jono, And I you're just you. too lazy then to fight back. I, I love you, Jono, but come on, man. Come on. Relax the cacks. Um, so we start talking about cards and UFCs that we've gone to that the main event has fallen off. And with the exception of two, two cards that I've travelled to, uh, Brock Lesnar, Cain Velasquez, UFC 121, I think that was. Surely someone f- and pulled out. Well, well, I was looking at just main, main events. Right. Right. So, Lesnar Velasquez, uh, UFC 121, and Silva Weidman 2. I think that was like 168, I want to say. They're the only two that I've gone to that the main event hasn't changed. Right. And, sorry, and now tell a lie, UFC London a couple of years ago, Diego Brandeo, or not Diego Brandeo, sorry, <laughs> Jesus, uh, Henan Burrell. Versus um, McDonald, Michael McDonald, mm. uh, for the bantamweight title back then. So they're the three that I've gone to that the main event hasn't fallen off. The ones that I have gone to where the main event has fallen off have been one eighty nine, one seventy. What was the McGregor party? One seventy eight. Yeah, one seventy eight. Yeah. That was meant to be John Jones, Daniel Cormier, the original. Then it was also that the John Jones, Gustafsson, and I fell off as well. Right, so we were left with Mighty Mouse. I don't. I love Mighty Mouse. No, don't I get do, me wrong. But like, but you still feel a little bit cheated. Like um, the one thing I'm delighted about that card is we got to see Dominic Cruz. But anyway, um, so then obviously one eighty nine Connor versus Jose. Jose got a, a sore vagina and pulled out. Yeah. Um, so we got Connor versus Chad Mendes. Then you went to what was supposed to be Connor versus the Sanyos. The Sanyos got a sore vagina and pulled out, <laughs> and you were left with Connor versus Nate One. I went to UFC 200, where I was meant to get John Jones and El Cormier yet again, and John Jones pissed hot. And that was on the Wednesday or something? That was, I was at Britney Spears, as we've talked about. <laughs> my phone starts going mental during Womanizer, and I'm like, people must know, this is my jam. <laughs> no, 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 no. John Jones has failed the test, and the main event is scrapped. And even at that, there was talk that was meant to be Connor and uh, Diaz on that card anyway, to start with. Yeah, that was and the then, original. Do you know what I mean? So no, like, it was the original. The, yeah, the yeah, card was, was made, yeah, the promo. Sorry. So, essentially, we're cursed. We're poxed. We are poxed, so that's why. And it's an awful lot of money to travel over to these cards. And I'm, look, don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining. It's great that I'm able to do it and all that. But it gets to the point where... But you don't... You d- what are you giggling at? No, I'm just saying, like, oh, you, don't want, you don't want to spend that money and then next minute... 
Yeah, it, it goes. It goes to the like. And, and the other, so even if you look at the Dublin card, it was meant to be McGregor, Jim Miller, and it ended up being McGregor, Brando. McGregor, Cole, Miller. So did I say Jim Miller? Jim, Sorry, yeah. Jim Miller's on the 205 card. That's yeah. why that's in my head. But, so that's just an example of it. And so far, UFC 205, at the time of recording this, 205 is intact. It is the best card I have ever seen in my life. It's unreal, isn't it? So let's um, let's get around to just giving our quick predictions. The on opening that. bout is Liz Carmucci versus Kathleen. Liz Carmucci. It's Liz Carmucci, my thing. Carmucci, that's what I said. Do you not remember? She nearly uh, made Ronda tap out with a face crank. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going Liz Carmouche um, over Chukagan. Chukagan. We should have asked. I've never heard of Chukagan. No, nah, me neither. Should have asked Bruce Buffer how to pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, we should have. When we are talking about difficult names to pronounce. Raphael, uh, Natal. Natal? Natal versus Timbo. That's Raph, Natal all day. <laughs> Big Raph has that. Do you think? Definitely. Jim Miller versus Tiago Alves. I haven't seen Tiago Alves fight in a long time. I'm going to go Jim Miller. I'm going to go Miller. Um, Vincente Luque versus Bilal Mohammed. I'm going to go Bilal Mohammed. Okay. Rashad Evans. Jeez, oh, I forgot this fight was on it. Yeah. Rashad Evans versus Tim Kennedy. I'm going with Kennedy. I'm going with Rashad having fought in what, three years? Yeah. Tim yeah. Kennedy for me. Kennedy all the way. Khabib. Yeah. Oh, God, I forgot. Yeah, Khabib normally made off. Uh, versus Michael Johnson. Khabib. Khabib all the way. Like Michael Johnson, don't get me wrong, Michael Johnson is a beast, but. Khabib is just a different animal to me. I'm going Khabib. Frankie Edgar versus... This is Who the fuck is that guy? Jeremy uh, Stevens. This is on the prelims. Yeah. The, sorry, these this are... This the pre- main event the, of the This prelims. is just prelims. Sorry, so you have Rashad Evans, former light heavyweight champion of the world. You've got Khabib Nurmagomedov, who many argue was the best 155 pounder in the universe. Never mind the You're going to say the Burdo, aren't you? I was. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie Edgar, uh, former lightweight champion of the world as well and featherweight contender. He's... On the pre, this is insane. Like, um, on the prelims versus who the fuck is that guy, Jeremy Stevens? Uh, I'm going Frankie Edgar. I'm going Frankie. Yeah. Then we go to the main card. Main we card. Have my woman Misha versus Raquel Pennington. Yeah, she's opening. Considering she was headlining, just I'm going with Misha. You know? uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be going with Misha. Take myself there. Kelvin. Then you've got Kelvin Gaston versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone. What a fight, man! Going with Cowboy. At 170 pounds, Cowboy has looked unstoppable so far. I like Kevin Gastelum, but I love Donald Cerrone. I'm going Donald Cerrone. Kevin always struggles at weight. Not at 170. Does he not? He struggled the last two times at weight, hasn't he? No. No, hang on. Am I getting mixed up? He he made, he made he didn't make weight once, I'd say, in the last three, but he's kind of struggling and he's talked Did, about struggling. He fought, he fought a 200 against Johnny Hendricks, and he was fine there. Yeah, he was fine and there, he absolutely, yeah, and yeah. But Johnny Hendricks, since the old drug rules got a bit tighter, Johnny Hendricks hasn't been at championship standards. Now I'm saying, lads. Now I'm saying. Um, I like Kevin Gastelum. I love Donald Cerrone. I'm going Donald Cerrone. Weidman versus Yo Romero. That's going to be Unbelievable great, Unbelievable I'm going to go man. with Romero. Are you going with Yo? Yeah. He always manages to pull through, man. Why, you know, like Jesus? That guy? I love Weidman, though. I love Chris I want Weidman to win. Here's the thing. And I've said this again before and repeat myself, I don't care, right? For years I wanted Anderson Silva to lose. Like, I really wanted him to lose. Yeah. And then Weidman beat him. And I was devastated. To the point where I wanted Silva to beat Weidman. Yeah. And then Weidman beat him the second time, albeit through a goofy circumstance where Silva broke his leg trying to kick him. Yeah. But after that fight, I had this newfound respect for Weidman. And I loved the guy ever I since. I loved Weidman. I loved the guy ever since. And I was devastated when Rockhold beat him. Devastated, like, um, so I'm going Chris Weidman, and I want Chris Weidman to get his belt back. I I want Weidman to win, but I just Romero just always pulls through, and always convincingly pulls through as well. Well, not convincingly. What was the card that he 
barely got up off the. Was that against Tim Kennedy actually? Where he barely got. That was up, against Tim Kennedy. Where he barely got up off he the. He took extra time still. Yeah, yeah. He, he always pulls through. That I love him. I love like I I love him and I love Jack Ray Seals as, as well. well as that, that that statement contradicts itself. That he always pulls through and he but, wins convincingly. He do, what I mean by winning yeah. convincingly is that he always comes back and then when he finishes them, it's yeah, yeah. very convincingly. We have yeah. Joanna Champion versus Carolina uh, uh, Challenger. <laughs> Joanna Champion. <laughs> Joanna Jezerdik. And Carolina kowalski Wakagujic. The, the Battle of Poland. I don't know. I'm going Joanna. Like, I've seen, I've, I think Joanna's an animal. But yeah. I've also seen her weaknesses sometimes. Yeah, every time I back Joanna to lose, she's win. So I'm going to back her to win. How can we keep backing her to lose? I just, I don't know, like, she she's a little animal, but I just keep thinking, bah. Caroline is unreal as well, man. She is, yeah, don't get me wrong, she is. I actually can't um, call that. I, I'm going with Joanna, purely because I've been wrong about her every time. I, I, I have to stop doubting her eventually. Um, Tyrone Woodley versus Wonderboy Stephen Thompson. Wonderboy. Wonderboy all the way. I cannot take the Tyrone Woodley, man. No. Cannot take them at all. I'm going Wonderboy by Vicious. Head kick, cartwheel, spinning somersault, knockout. And then we have the main event of the evening. Eddie Alvarez versus Edward. the notorious Conor McGregor. Edward, king of the underground, Alvarez versus Conor, the king of everything else, McGregor. So. There's only one king, Edward Alvarez. And it's Conor McGregor. Conor, I think, is going to win. Here's the thing, Eddie like, is 28 and 4, Conor is 20 and 3. Yeah. 69 um, inches. 107 um, what did I want to sorry I just wanted to check I don't know well, you're the, reach, the reach yeah, the reach Connor has a 4 inch reach advantage yeah but Alvarez is the type of guy that's the, the, the reach advantage may not necessarily be necessary like it says here that they're the same height but Connor looks like he towers over him build I suppose yeah you know um, like I just think if Connor lands on him, I think Eddie's gone Eddie can take a punch though. I mean, like we were, we seen him fight Donald Cerrone. Connor can as well, can't he? Yeah, he can. Yeah. Um. So long as it's not kind of after the third minute of the second round and before the start of the fourth round, where he goes through that wobbly patch. You set yourself there, please. I'm joking, man. Calm down. Look, here's the thing. I think Connor's gonna win, right? And I'm saying that with both head and heart. Yeah. But if somebody were to say to me, I think Alvarez is gonna win, I wanted to accept that based on the fact that Alvarez ain't no slouch. We seen him fight Donald Cerrone. Cerrone couldn't put him away, yeah. but he battered him. The so thing is, Eddie? Eddie Alvarez, when he beat the Sanios yeah. back in July, he he fought perfectly. He didn't give the Sanios a chance. No, like the Sanios likes to like. If you look at what the Sanios done to Cerrone, he came out at him straight away and finished him within a minute. And if you look at what the Sanios done to Pettis and how he put on a clinic against Pettis. Eddie Alvarez didn't let the Sanios do it. Eddie Alvarez went straight after he him. He suffocated him, yeah. And and the Sanios didn't know what was going on by the time he was knocked out. I, I think I think if he tries the same tactic against Connor, I think Connor will catch him. I think I don't think he can rush Connor, but, but I like, think Alvarez Nate, is smart. Look at Nate getting knocked down three or four times in the fight. Mm. Like, yeah. I don't think Eddie's going to be able to handle that. I don't think he will either. I I think if Connor lands and lands clean, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 lights out game over. But I the one thing I will give Eddie Alvarez is that he's a lot smarter fighter than people may realise. Yeah, I no, I'm not, I'm not. I don't think he's going to rush. But in saying that, look, do I think he's going to avoid Connor for the entire fight? Not a chance. Connor will land, and when Connor lands, so, you know, you go down. Like it's it's not often you see somebody who, so long as he doesn't do what he done in the first day as fight, where he loaded up in the shots, and he tried to no, everything. I think he's learned. I hope so. He's I really, really hope so. Definitely learned his lesson because he didn't do that in Diaz too. 
Exactly. Um, he, he, just he, looked, his, he looked brilliant in the day, that's right. Um, his conditioning looked amazing as well. Well. He did five rounds, man. He, he did have five rounds, but he did drop off and then get a second wind. Yeah. Like, he did drop off dramatically towards the end of the second round and then the third round. And in the fourth and fifth round, he regained it. The fourth round to me was, was brilliant. Like, that showed me that, yeah, he can hang in there. And the questions over this gas tank, maybe. It was an emotional rollercoaster, wasn't it? It was unbelievable. Like, but. He's never in doubt, though. Look, would I be comfortable if Stark on his ladder rounds? No. Would I prefer a quick finish? Absolutely. I want the, I want the finish in the first minute uh, or two. But everything Alvarez the is saying. The roof in, the, in Madison Square Garden. Oh, stop. You blow it off, man. Blow it off. Everything Alvarez is saying is he's sort of saying, like, I don't believe in this guy's gas tank. I don't believe that he's capable of going. He's he's the best. Too. And it's something that people have said about Jose Aldo. He's the best two-minute fighter in the world. Mm. You know? There's that argument about Connor. He's the best one-round fighter in the world. You know? Um, but I would say he's gone beyond the first round enough now that he's kind of answered that question. He went the distance with Holloway. He went the distance the second time, five rounds the second time when he went the distance with Diaz. In a different weight. Um, at a, a, yeah, much bigger weight. Um, with Mendez, he went into the second round. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think he's capable of going beyond that. And I think the question marks that are there, fair enough. But I think, by and large, he's answered a lot of them. Mm. So I'm, I'm still backing him to make history. Unreal. And, and keep... It's going to be a monster day of sport. putting this rainy little rock in the middle of the Atlantic Two, at the highest pinnacle of sport, man. That day, we uh, we have Austria and Ireland in a World Cup qualifier. So two oh. competitive sporting events for Ireland. World Cup and qualifier, man. Daryl Horgan and Andy Boyle have been called into the Ireland squad for that match. And I sincerely hope that's not just lip service. No. no they've been, well, it's the provisional squad. Yeah. Hopefully they get it. I, like, look, I, and I may not say I'm not a League of Ireland follower. I'm, I don't go to matches. I don't. But at the same time, is it great to see lads from a domestic competition playing for them? Of course it is. Yeah. Of course, like name any other league in the world that doesn't have any representatives from their domestic but league. They, they've got it on merit because of their they performance in the Europa League. It's yeah. unbelievable. So congrats to the lads, no. and it'd be great. Yeah, like the, the, imagine Darren Horgan, Darren Horgan getting a, an appearance out of Austria in a few moment, a few minutes. That'd be deadly. Yeah. Come on the lads. Yeah, great stuff. Come on Ireland, come on McGregor. Um, what do you reckon for the Ireland-Austria game? I don't know, we haven't been playing well at all. So Would um, you settle for the draw? Yeah, would you? I'd settle for all away draws, all home wins. Undefeated, yeah, I'd take that, yeah. yeah. Ireland uh, will play Canada on the same day as well in the Aviva Stadium, which will be at some... Not quite as grandstand, obviously, it's Canada. It's only a friendly as well. Um, you watch your mouth, it's a it's test a, match. It's not a competitive match, um, like the World Cup qualifier. And obviously, the, and we're, the title fight. we're recording this before the first game at the All Blacks in Chicago, so there's no point in me saying, well done, or, geez, they hammered us again. <laughs> but um, I'll be watching that, obviously. So I, I hope, I hope, they, uh, they make history, and they win, and they set things up going into next weekend. This, this repeat of history being made. I'm you all for it. I love history being made. And then Donald Fallon can talk about it in 30 years on Hidden Histories and come here to me. Did you see, actually, one last thing before we go to the guest? Yes. Um, Brian Borges, Borgie. Yep. Did you see his, uh, he tweeted us about, um, or he tweeted me, sorry, about um, Hellfire. I uh, retweeted it. It's a little five-minute documentary of the archaeology. Yeah, this is the, the lads. It's only five um, minutes, but it's deadly. The lads from UCD up down the archaeology dig up in the Hellfire Club. Yeah, it was yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And they've been finding all sorts. Check that out, lads. Just Google it and you'll find it. It's great so far. Go on to Merrill's Twitter, at American Mania, and have a look through his retweets. And you'll find that as well. At WTS Pod, tweet us and give us your reaction to 
the wonderful Bruce Buffer, the wonderful Dan Severn. Give us a like, give us a share, give us a follow, facebook.com forward slash WTS pod Ireland. Uh, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, give us an L review or whatever as well. We appreciate the kind words. And um, yeah, look, enough of us prattling on. They've had a half hour of us doing this waiting to get to our first guest. Which is? Dan the Beast Severn. A man who, like I said earlier, triple the only UFC Triple Crown winner ever. And if you don't know what the UFC Triple Crown is, it's a UFC tournament win. So that's how old school we're talking. UFC super fight win and the ultimate, ultimate win. Nobody else ever done it. And now nobody else ever will. So his place in history is well and truly cemented. One of the most decorated amateur wrestlers in the history of amateur wrestling. And of course, his days with WWF and a pro wrestling business. He was also on a tour of Ireland with the NWA Ireland. He was. Crazy. And uh, we might talk a little bit more about that. Not just with Dan Severn, but in a couple of weeks' time. Peeling back the curtain a bit there, giving a little hint. Yeah. Giving a little hint. Woohoo. Um, great local bloke coming up, lads. Um, if you just don't know him, you definitely will after this podcast. But uh, that's in a couple of weeks' time, so we won't say too much more about it. But yeah, Dan Severn, for all intents and purposes, absolute gent. Um, and his knowledge of MMA and wrestling is just insane. He runs a promotion called Danger Zone, which has implemented a new rule, which we're going to talk to him about. So you're going to hear about that now. So look, lads, kick back, relax, and enjoy the dulcet tones of the one and only Dan the Beast Severn. So we've been joined now by the legend, the only Triple Crown winner in the history of the UFC, um, the pro wrestling legend, amateur wrestling legend, and MMA legend, Dan the Beast Severn. Dan, thanks very much for your time. Um, we're coming off the back of your own promotion, Danger Zone, having um, their online pay-per-view and at that pay-per-view, you guys introduced a new rule, the Beast Mode rule. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and yeah. how you came up with that idea? Well, you forgot in your introduction at all about good guy. I, I, I didn't hear that mentioned <laughs> at all. So. <laughs> but, you know, to tell you about the rule, it's, it's actually, it's been on my mind for over 20 years. Yours truly here was about a match early in my career. Matter of fact, it was my third match ever in my cage fighting career. And the only reason I call it cage fighting because most of your listeners um, are only are only familiar familiar with the term mixed martial arts MMA. Yeah, and that term really did not come about until sometime around uh, 2005, 2006, and. Uh, um, it, uh, prior to it, it was known as No Holes Barred. And, you know, give, give the, the, to your listeners a little bit more of education. The current product has approximately either 47 or 49 rules. Part of those rules is there's weight classes, there's period time periods known as rounds, and there's uh, uh, you wear gloves and you fight uh, one opponent in a given evening. We're back in that NHB or otherwise known as No Holes Barred era. There were only two rules the, the athletes had to abide by. That being, do not bite your opponent and do not stick any fingers in the eye sockets. No eye gouging. End of the rules, guys. I mean, think about end of the rules. That's your only two violations. No mm-hmm. weight classes. No time periods. Bare knuckled. No gloves. And you had the eight-man tournament format. 
in the same two-hour pay-per-view that still plays to this day uh, where uh, men and women in mixed martial arts face only one opponent. Back in that no holds barred uh, era, you had to face and defeat three. And that's where he said that, uh, you know, when when you speak that, that uh, acknowledgement of the only triple crown champion, I am the only triple crown champion from the UFC's no holes barred era. And since it's against uh, the law really to do anymore, um, I'm yet I'm in a category all by myself. But now to get back into the rules, I, I'm just trying to give you a little bit of education on this. Yeah, I'm involved yeah. in a match. Uh, the average match for the first uh, few shows that the UFC did, the average match was two minutes twenty two seconds. A very violent and aggressive. Two minutes and 22 seconds. At that point in time, no match had gone beyond four minutes. So when Hoist Gracie and I took to the cage and we went just shy of 16 minutes or just over 16 minutes, I don't remember, it was right around that 16 minute mark, what had happened was the, the UFC company only allotted so much pay-per-view time. And the match ran over the time and a lot of the uh, states or countries like that that it was played in, no one saw the finish of the match. And so people are calling in to their local cable providers. They're like, you know, and they're complaining, who won this match? I want my money back. This is crap, and blah, blah, blah. So the UFC started to implement time constraints. So yours truly, who was involved in in a match that involved time, I, I kept thinking, well, this is easy for athletes to adjust to and to uh, be conditioned and trained with a, uh, with a game plan for rounds. So now basically, I, I'm not changing anything to where I could take my product to every single state in the U.S. and, and every country would recognize it and it'd be just fine. Yeah. The only thing I'm restricted right now is how much time you are allowed to be on the ground. Okay. Which, a lot of people who hear this, they may say, well, it's already happening. No, it's not. Not the way I have it. It's only limited on the ground due to a referee and at his discretion. And the average amount of time that is spent down on the ground is about 45 seconds. And you've, you've heard of the term lay and pray or, or just inactivity rule. Yeah. Well, we have basically, uh, well, the, the name of the rule right now, and until we come up with something better, is just, just the, the beast mode rule, is a time limit of only 30 seconds. So thir- 30 seconds on the 30 ground. 30 seconds. Yes, only 30 seconds allowed down on the ground. Period. I don't care if you're... Danny or Graham, if you got me down and, and you're just pounding the bejeebers out of me, but I'm hanging in there, hanging in there. I mean, the referee still has the referee still has the right of stoppage of the match. Yeah, um, there's still all the same rules of submissions and chokes and the whole nine yards, but it's to make the product more exciting than what it is, and it worked this past weekend. Uh, you know, we, we we held the, this first. I've held about fifty uh, Danger Zone shows so far, Danger Zone MMA shows. Yeah. 
And this was the first one that the state of Indiana allowed us to do this rule change. And I was, as I'm watching the match unfold, I'm actually paying more attention to the audience. It was it was a total success. The crowd was cheering at all times. There was no dull moment onto it. And you can even see the athletes as these matches are unfolded for them, as the guys that were late on the card later, they, you already saw them making adjustments. So we, 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 our rule was a, success, was a success, and it was a very exciting uh, event. And now we are looking at uh, installment number two with the Beast Mode rule uh, on January the 14th. Right back in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're going to run about four shows there. Actually, we're going to run about three shows, working out some of the, a few more of the kinks because we, we don't have this clock mechanism all in place yet. Okay. Because I have a design of how, how I want this clock in there to really incorporate the fans and to see actual time clicking down. Yeah. Whereas, you know, yeah, I know I've been flapping my head, but I'll let you guys go ahead and ask questions to my comments. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, um, I know I was trying to cut across you a little bit, but yeah, I, I definitely think it'll be interesting to see that kind of shot clock scenario and how fans react to it. Um, obviously, kind of last weekend was the first time that, that people would have got to see this rule. So January 14th, Danger Zone MMA, that'll be the next one. And people be able yes. to purchase that online and be able to see this rule in action themselves and see kind of what it adds or how it makes a fight go. Literally this shot clock in place where the second it hits the ground, it'll start counting down 29, 28, 27. And if they can't finish yeah. that fight in 30 seconds, they get stood back up and it goes again. Correct. But okay, but still, within that 30 seconds, there's a second element of time. You can't just sit there and just hold on the guy, hold him down for 30 seconds and let that 30-second clock go. No. Yeah. If it's, uh, see, I don't know, uh, in, in, for example, in amateur wrestling, there's, uh, there's, there's, uh, if you hold your opponent on the back or just, just a, uh, a, a one or two count, yeah. basically it's, it's called, it's called a predicament and it's worth two points. Okay. If, hold, if you're able to hold your opponent onto his back, or, or not on his back all the way, but close to his back, because if, if he's right there on his back, it's called a pinfall. But if you hold him, break at a 45 degree angle, so like this, for a count of five, if you get a, a max of three points. What's called a predicament, what's called a near fall. So with it, you know, we're not going to call anything like that, but what you're going to see is the visible side. The referee, the referee, well, first he'll acknowledge that there is a dominant position, what they call it, a takedown, whether it's a mount, a cross mount. The referee will, will simply, he will signal, you know, as his finger points are down, he'll signal that this, this dominant position, this takedown, they've hit the ground, boom, the shot clock starts. So he actually signals it. And then the, the 29, 28, it starts to go down. But at the same token, if he sees them get into what looks like they're stalling, you're going to see him start to uh, he'll start to wave the hand back and forth, basically for a count of five. If there's a count of five, like, you know, he'll go Mississippi one, Mississippi two, Mississippi three, <laughs> four. He hits, he hits whatever. He hits five. They he, automatic stand up. We're not going to wait 45 seconds. Okay. We're not going to let you wait 30 seconds. This is called activity. Okay. It definitely sounds like it's going to add... Um a lot of interest to the fights and it's definitely going to bring 
a new element of action to it. So I look forward to that in the next danger zone. Um, you mentioned there briefly your in, in your early days, your third fight, the, the legendary fight with Hoist Gracie. Um, I've heard you talking about that fight before, and it almost sounds as though you're saying you kind of let him win, ultimately. You, you kind of said, ultimately, you didn't feel as though you were willing to do the things you would have to do in order to beat that man. Can you kind of elaborate on that for us? When I was told I was in my very first UFC, it was UFC number four. I, I was in. Yeah. Again, to, for, your, for your viewers, of series, for your listeners' sake, pay-per-view was not prevalent like it is today. Yeah. Back when, uh, you know, this industry started in 94. I mean, officially December 1993, but, uh, you know, most people don't know that at all. I just basically say it started in 94. Oh, but once it started in 94, you see number four was my first one. I did not know it existed because pay-per-view was only offered in the larger metropolitan areas of each state. So in a state like Michigan, where I live, it might be in the Detroit metropolitan area. It might be in the Lansing area. It might be in the Saginaw area. But I lived out in Bulldogs countryside of Coldwater, Michigan. We didn't, we didn't get to see the pay-per-view, stuff like that. And you know, I, I wasn't even aware of it until a buddy of mine watched the first two. He copies them on an old VHS tape. And he shows them to me. He says, you ought to think about doing this. And I'm seeing people get soccer kicked in the face. Teeth are flying out. And I go, you know, these are not exactly skills I possess. But they said, well, look at this little skinny little guy doing this thing called jiu-jitsu. And to me, it's like, of course, he was talking about Hoist Gracie. And I had never really had seen jiu-jitsu before. But I thought, well, to me, it looks like he just wrestling with pajamas on, so I think I could do it, too. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, honestly, that that was my, my only inter- introduction to it. I, I, to, to my mind, I figured, well, my opponent has got to be within arm's reach to strike me. He's got to be within leg's reach to kick me, punch me, knee me, elbow me. I go out just to be just move out of range. And then when they, because everyone sought to throw out, then they recall back. I said, well, he recalls back. I'll just follow me down in and I'll clinch him. I'll take him down. I'll jam him up, up because of cage wall. Literally, that little tidbit that I thought of the, the 20 some years ago had served me oh so well because, you know, there's only, only four people in the world that have over 100 cage fights. I'm one of the four. There's only three in the world that have over 100 victories. I'm one of the three. But the ironic mm-hmm. part is, I faced the other three. I defeated the other three. And the closest one to my age was 15 years my junior. So, once again, there's nobody in my category. I'm lifetime chemical-free. You find another heavyweight <laughs> that can make that claim. Matter of fact, out of the first three guys ever inducted into the UFC's Hall of Fame, only one of us. Has never tested positive. Would you like to kind of guess who that might be? Well, I, I think that might be the beast Dan Severn. Would I be right? <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it's yeah. You know, I, I know I'm being a little bit condescending and stuff like that. But but same token, that's just because that's the kind of person I am. I I don't I don't BS people. Yeah. You may or may not like what I say, but I'm going to rub your face in the. T- truth <laughs> and a lot of people don't don't like to hear the truth so you know getting back to this match i've caught i've, I've contacted boom we we will put you in i i have a number of things i've always been a busy guy so i have all these commitments i i fulfill my commitments i literally only trade for five days 
And wow. during this time era, you you could there was only one cage in the, the world, and that was owned by the UFC. So I basically the closest thing I could find to a cage was a professional wrestling ring. My first profession was professional wrestling as of the '92 Olympics. I first did that. And then when this came around in 94, I jumped into that. So a lot of people thought I was the, thought I was a sellout to the cage fight world when I jumped into the WWF. I go, sure, I was working for the UFC first, then with the WWF, but I was a professional wrestler first as of 92. And then by 94, that's when the, the UFC and this cage fighting product existed. So I fulfilled my, my obligations. I trained for five days, an hour and a half a day. My training camp was a joke. I'm working with three professional wrestlers. I'm not, again, not being, being condescended to them, but these are three professional wrestlers inside of a professional ring, and they had one old pair of boxing gloves between the three of them. And so they're trying to punch me, and they're trying to kick me, and they're trying to do whatever crude submissions they do, and I basically just stayed out of range, kept clinching them, kept taking them down. When one guy would get tired, he'd pass them to the, the gloves to the next guy. When the next guy get tired, he passed the next guy. I just stayed out there. I said, Five days, an hour and a half a day, I never threw a single punch. I never did a single legitimate submission. Even when I showed up to the UFC, when it, it, we, the Friday night, what, what is now known as a weigh-in, back then it was known as a press conference because there was no weight class. So yeah, yeah. you go to this, you'd have these eight men, you know, four on one side of the, the podium, four on the other side of the podium, and basically... Uh, who was ever seeing them would simply say, you know, uh, yeah, Danny, would you, you stand up there and say, Danny is, uh, he's six foot tall, he weighs this much weight, and uh, his background is karate and whatever, especially type of karate, something like this, and then, then you sit down, and then the next guy would come on up, and now it's he, Graham that stands up, and he's, you know, he's five foot ten, and he weighs this, and he's, he's a jujitsu uh, specialist. I mean, that, that's what the way they, they did this press conference. And then they took out this bingo ball machine where basically eight names were put on to eight balls that were put in there. And as they spun around, first ball would come out. Okay, there's a, Danny's the first, uh, he's, he's the first ball came out, so, so he's number one. And they pull out the next ball, and there's, Graham comes up, there's number two. First match is made up. You found out who your opponent was less than 24 hours before he's supposed to climb into the cage. How many, how many of these guys today would do that? without wanting to go into a four- to six-month training camp, because they literally they know almost that much ahead of time. But that's what you found out at that time period. So anyway, that's give you a little more education, or, or your listeners are all more into education. So basically, five days, hour and a half a day, I show up at, at this press conference, and as they're giving, and taking the information, so like announce about me, they're like, well, what's, what's your martial art? I go, I go, I'm an American wrestler. I, well, first off, I've never been asked that question before, because... I go, well, I'm an American wrestler. And now the person I told it to looked at me real inquisical like because, and they, they said, well, I've never heard of that. Uh, what exactly is that? I go, I'm not sure. I'm making this up as I go. Just watch. So, you know, because I was actually the very first, you know, basically a world-class wrestler to ever step inside of the, the octagon. And, uh, you know, again, it leads up to, you know, it's kind of a long way around the story there, but... I had, I had been an amateur wrestler for 26 years. 26 years of rules and regulations. You can't punch someone. You can't uh, do this. You can't do that. So I tell people that in this match, you know, even 
yeah, I, I took him down. You know, he, you know, people say, well, he pulled guard. Well, okay, so he pulled guard. I, I see a man who's laying on his back with his, with his legs around me, okay? So it's kind of like, uh, uh, I'm thinking, well, what, by, by, by intensified five-day training camp, hour and a half a day, uh, I'm thinking, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to attempt these crude missions I did to, to my other three guys previously. Well, they, they don't seem to be working too well on him, but now, now it's starting to cross my mind. I'm thinking, you know, I think I might have to hit this guy. Yeah. You know, but I, but it, I had to think about it. I tell people over and over again as I do this interview, I struggled more with my conscience than I ever did with an opponent. So even during the course of this match, I never threw nothing straight down. I didn't throw just to go hammer fist down. I didn't throw no elbow straight down. I did peripheral shots off to the side. Well, maybe this would have hurt a little bit. Well, it didn't really seem like it did too much. Well, let's just go try another one. So literally, as this, this match is progressing on, I got lost. I mean, I, I don't know how, how long we're down on the ground. He wasn't yeah. going to go to no place. And, uh, and I'm looking right through. I'm actually looking right through. I'm looking through his soul because, you know, as, as cliche goes, you know, the eyes are the window to, to his soul. I'm staring right through to his soul, and he's looking over. He's looking over to his his dad, Helio, who is outside the cage, and I can read exactly what's going through Boyce's mind. It's kind of like, well, you know what? I'm, I'm hanging in here, Dad, but uh, you know, if you threw that towel in, I wouldn't hold it against you. And then basically, I go from Hoyce's eyes. I look right over to Helio's eyes, and you know he's got a towel in his hand. He he just he kind of brings it up, he crosses his arm, and he shakes his head no. And then to me, it's like I've said this line time, time and time again. As I'm, I'm looking over, I'm thinking, "You old bastard! <laughs> you you let me kill your kid out here, would you? For crazy <laughs> jujitsu? Well, guess what? Nobody knows. Nobody knows Dan Severn is out here tonight. I did not tell a single family member what I was doing when I left for the weekend." I simply said, you know, uh, I'm going to go off and wrestle this weekend because I was a professional. So I, did what, I did not want my family to worry about me. Yeah. I said, I'm a big boy. If something's going bad, well, I saw these matches. Some guys were doing this. They call a tap out or something like that. Yeah. Or the referee was going to throw, or, or the corner could throw the towel away. The referee could stop the match or even a, uh, a big side position could actually halt the match if they wanted to. So... I say, well, I'm intelligent enough. If things are going to go bad, I'll just be just tap out. Dan, um, I'm just wondering. There you have it. Yeah, very good, very good. It's Graham here. I'm just wondering. Um, I'm just wondering. Um, over the time period, um, over the same time period, uh, yourself, Ken Shamrock, and Tank Abbott, mainly him to WCW. But you've entered kind of the professional wrestling era during the time period. Uh, which would be known to our listeners as the Attitude Era. Um, what what was that like? Kind of getting involved in the pro wrestling at the kind of the start and the height of its boom. Well, like I said, I, uh, I had been approached uh, by uh, a few different smaller independent promotions uh, through the mid eighties. But had I turned pro at that point in time, I would have lost my amateur competition status. And my amateur wrestling status meant more to me than uh, jumping into professional wrestling. But as of the 1992 Olympics, a new rule came down the United States Olympic Committee that allowed athletes to be both amateur and professional simultaneously as long as you 
were not involved in high school athletics or collegiate athletics, because you would still be governed by your uh, high school athletic high school athletic association rules or the NCAA rules. Well, I was well past my collegiate eligibility, so I could have my cake and eat it too. I could be I could be uh, trying out for making uh, national U.S. national teams, Pan American teams, world teams, Olympic teams, and I could still be a professional wrestler on top of that. Wrestler. <laughs> so, like, what? Jordan, Jordan, as I said, Jordan, the attitude area, you, you, you joined uh, the WWF, uh, Vince McMahon's promotion, kind of at the height of some crazy um, viewership figures, um, and you were managed by Jim Cornette. What was all that process like and experience? Like, what was the dealings with Vince McMahon like and, and stuff like that? Well, I mean, I, I got along just fine with Vince. I mean, I, I was treated well. Uh, I'll say that uh, uh, they used me very well in the beginning. You know, I am, I'm actually doing matches in, in a suit and tie. Uh, and, uh, you know, just, just crushing people left and right. And then even in my matches, doing the exact same thing. And then I, I do believe somewhere along the line, I think that they realized that uh, they did not have any control over me whatsoever. Because in my contract, I was, and as far as I Although I am the only unrestricted wrestler ever on the roster, you know all the people at that time, you know the the, the Rock, Stone Cold, Steve Austin, uh, Undertaker. I mean Vince basically owned all these guys, and I came in as Dan Severn, Dan to be severed from from uh, you know the, the UFC, well, not just from UFC because I was. I was unrestricted in the UFC. Yeah. Whereas, you know, again, the, the company, the UFC company has changed hands four times. I've worked for three of the ownerships so far. I'm just not sure who, is, who are the new owners. I've not met anybody yet, but I think in due time, I, I will. Yeah. And was there anything that um, was promised uh, in your time in WWF or any storylines or any programs that were supposed to happen that didn't happen that you you would have liked to have happened? Well, I would think that the the, the, the most common one should have been this, maybe this continuation of uh, Sham, Rock, and Severn type of a feud. I think it really played over into it, but it never, it never came up. You know, because, you know, Ken and I split a couple matches in, uh, in the UFC where I won one, he won one, and, and then, uh, you know, so. Yeah, um, and just on that, Dan, the, the, one of the things in WWF that I remember anyway as a kid was um, you had a feud with the late Owen Hart. Um, I know a lot of people over here would have grew up watching Owen and watching Brett in particular, but um, I, I think I was only watching, like it was a, a rerun of WWF from, I think it was 90... Maybe ninety seven or ninety eight, I think, um, and it was a storyline where Owen uh, gave you he injured your neck in a, a botched pile yeah. driver. Can, what was it like working with with Owen Hart? Like because I mean he was a guy that was taken far too soon and obviously extremely talented. And um, just what what are your memories of of, of that in particular? Well, I mean, I, 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 
Well, I mean, the, the, well, first off, the, you know, the Hart family had quite a legacy in professional wrestling. The old father, Stu Hart, uh, running his uh, uh, operation up, up there in Canada. I mean, yeah. he just, uh, he, you know, he, he, he produced a lot of uh, great wrestlers out of uh, what was known as the dungeon. You know, he had uh, had his own in the basement. And I actually had a chance, opportunity. I was a special guest referee between Owen Hart and Ken Shamrock for, for a dungeon match. You know, became a special referee game once again when uh, Ken Shamrock and Owen Hart did another match in uh, Madison Square Garden. Uh, you know, the Lions of that dead match. So, you know, I, I got the chance to get to know Owen on a much more personal type basis. And as I got to know him, I mean, he, he was quite a character. Uh, I liked the, like the, he liked uh, the rib, rib guys. He liked to have fun. Uh, you know, his, his gimmick as the Blue Blazer, he, you could just, he was like, a little kid, you know, dressing up for Halloween. You know, he just he loved he loved being that, that character. You could just see the the mischievous side of him coming on out. And uh, yeah, as I got the chance to know him a little more, he, he's like, he said, Danny says, he'll never remember me. He says, but he says, I remember watching you when you used to come up to Ontario, Canada, and, and compete in the Canadian Cup during your freestyle or or Greco-Roman uh, time period. And uh, I would be, uh, he said, he, he used to watch me, but even when. Uh, I went up there to uh, uh, the the Hart home, uh, you know, for about three hours while they're setting up all the cameras, the lights, stuff like that, down in for the dungeon match. I'm just sitting up in the living room, uh, just talking with uh, Stu Hart. Yeah. And uh, and uh, just through the course of conversation, you know, just seemed like we just kind of hit it on up. But more or less, I just really was being very respectful, just listen, listen to him tell stories and story, and he would ask me questions, I would answer them, and then. Uh, uh, you know, it was like about a week later, Owen presented me with a gift. He goes, uh, he says, my dad wanted me, wanted me to give this to you. He said he really enjoyed the conversation. He gave me a, gave me one of, uh, it was actually an Owen Hart shirt, but it was autographed by Stu Hart. So oh, I, yeah. you know, that was a very cherished uh, memento. And each time I see, uh, I really had not ever met Brett at that point in time, but then it seemed like, after that time period, every time I, I met Brett, uh, you know, he, was, he, he would go out of his way to come over and say hi, shake my hand, and, and uh, we always, you know, I guess he just liked the way that I, I was, I was nice and kind to his, his father and the same way to Owen. So, yeah, yeah, um, just moving on because I, I know we're pressed for time, Dan. So I, I really want to let you go as quick as I can. But before I do, um, if we can just jump back to MMA, and I know. A correspondence um, building up to, to having a chat with you. You said you don't watch the current product. Is that just because you prefer the old tournament style and kind of like what you were saying earlier about you don't know any of these guys that would do today taking a fight on an hour's notice and fighting three people in a night, or is it just it's not it's not the same as it was back then? Or no, no, no none of the above. I I just don't watch much television first, but as I said at the very beginning. I didn't know that the process existed, you know, again, due to probably pay-per-views, but that probably also the fact that I just don't watch a lot of television. Okay. Like I'm, I'm, and the, the internet era has only really, you got to go back, when, when did all these cell phones, when did all this uh, uh, social media, Facebook and uh, websites and all this stuff come about? I mean, I always tell people that uh, I started my amateur career in 1969. I have been teaching it since 71. I won my first national title at 72, and you guys were born when? 84, I was. And 87 for myself. And again, 
do I did I know that before now? No. No. I only assume it because I am that old guy. I'm the oldest guy that ever walked into the octagon cage. Yeah. To start a career. Think about that. To start a career. I was I was literally I, I, just before turning thirty seven years of age. When I started my career, who starts a career at 37 and then goes for 20 years later? Yeah. And the fact that I came back out of retirement uh, just this, this past March, because when I retired, I, I was I wanted one more big hurrah before I, I actually called it, called it quits. And in my final four or five years, I reached out to basically three guys that I would like to have had one more match with and made it in, in uh, a row. It would have been a Mark Coleman, a Ken Shamrock, and a Hoist Gracie. If I could have had my last three matches, would have been right in that order. I've been okay with all that, but and and I, I reached out. Austin had agreed, but just you make something always kept coming up. It just, and, and it's kind of like going, you know. Then finally, finally in the beginning of 2012, I, I basically put a, 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 an email to all the various promoters and promotions I had in my database. I simply said, if if you ever think about utilizing my my services, it better happen somewhere. Of course, in 2012, at the end of 2012, I will be re- retiring as a you know, January 2013, and I did. But I retired, retired uh, with a clause. As we said, I'm going to retire now. But if one of these three guys steps up to the plate and requests a match with me, I will consider it, depending on how long I've been retired and I weigh 500 pounds now and I own three pizzerias. I don't know. I mean, it's just, I, I kind of doubt if I'll come back out of retirement if I'm in that kind of rough shape, you know, it, and, uh, so basically, I just, uh, you know, I had a couple that, that uh, did contact me for a match with uh, Ken Shamrock. And so I prepared, I prepared for it. I, I found out that Ken, he had signed the letters of intent. He took money in advance. And then literally, uh, then uh, made this, this major announcement that he's going to fight Weiss Gracie. Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, the, the original date that I was supposed to be doing this, uh, this match with Ken was two days before the date of his about in uh, Bellator wow. with Hoist. And so I'm the guy that actually brought it to the attention to this company because this company was not an MMA company. It was just an entertainment product company out of Canada. And there, there's a lot to take these guys. I, I had to help them and educate them all the way, all the way through. And uh, it, it should have almost been my show, but... I was done because I, I, I found them a state. I found them an athletic commission. I found them their, their venue. I, you know, just you name it. I found them this. I found them that. And it's just kind of like, and, that, and, that, and then there's a, I'm the only guy that doesn't get a chance to beat on the show. I kept thinking, you know, what 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 a what a crappy thing to have happen. Yeah. Because so, Ken basically, he bows out nine days before. Wow. You know, then, then there was this... Uh, Freak show hunt there to try to find, you know, now this comes say, well, we're trying to find somebody else. I go, oh, hold on, you mean you got Mark Coleman or Ken Chet or, or Hoist Gracie? They're like, well, no, no, we don't have them there. I go, I said I only came out of retirement for one of three people. I'm not looking for somebody else. Eventually, they, they offered up like a tank gap to me. Mm. And I'm like, you know, I've already done a tank gap match. I don't have no desire to do them again. I said, but I said, you guys are running this little freak show event. I says, uh, take care of fits the bill for a freak show. I says, so sure, why not? I go, but you know, you better contact the guy because he's got to be licensed. He's got to go have all of his medicals taken care of. And once you hit a certain age, especially when you look at my age, here I am 
58 years of age. Actually, I was 57 at the time that, that this, this match was supposed to be taking place. And uh, they, uh, I had to stand there before. Not only did I have to take all these medicals, I had to take some additional medical tests to make sure that, you know, the, my the EKG and, and the uh, CAT scan and things of that nature, make sure the MRI, excuse me, MRI make sure that, every, you know, is the brain operating correctly? Is your heart all good? Stuff like that. And then I had this, you know, this, this took place in the state of Arizona. And then, there I am standing at, in front of this podium, and I'm being questioned by seven different athletic commissioners, trying to figure out why am I doing this match at this age? Am I am I down and out? Am I am, am, am I broke? I need the money. Am I you know all kinds of questions were posed to me, and they actually they did their due diligence, and they looked back at my record to see when was the last time I, I competed, what was the uh, outcome of that match, how was I doing in the last. A uh, year or two of my career, and they said, you, know, you, you want everything. And they said, they're like, there's, you know, they're like, what, what a physical specimen standing here before us. <laughs> you know, to be at your age and, and pass all these medicals of flying colors and stuff like that. But then, you know, when it came to tank, he did not uh, pass his medicals. And so, literally, on that, I think it was on a Thursday, the day before, you know, the waves and stuff like that, you know, the uh, tank uh, could not. Uh, Pass medicals and, and I'm off the card, finally. Yeah. But I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not mad at Tate for not passing physicals. But the, the the blessing or the good fortune is at least Tate now is aware of some health issues he needs to address. The person I'm upset with is Ken Shamrock, or as who I simply just refer to anymore as the Sham, because his his credentials, <laughs> his word means nothing to me. He, he, he is a Sham. Dan, are you concerned? You've had a lot of bouts and, and a lot of fights uh, in your career. Are you concerned with uh, any long-term injuries at all? Um, I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you what. Ask me, ask me that question maybe next year, next five years, and, and so on, because most people, when they, if, they've ever, if you've ever had a chance to see me and then to talk to me and stuff like that, they're like, oh, wow, you're, you can intelligently speak a sentence with a thought process. Um, I don't have cauliflower ears. Uh, my nose still sits in the center of my face, and my teeth, <laughs> although a little bit crooked, they've always been crooked. They're still originals. So, I mean, literally, most people will say it doesn't look like you've ever been in a fight in your entire life. And, and I go, and you are correct. I never have been in a a real fight in my entire life. I have only been in competition, and and a lot of your listeners will not understand that. So, like, well, what do you call that cage stuff? I go, that's called. That was a competition. That's not a real fight. A real fight, there's no rules. I, I I do stuff with, I have worked with law enforcement corrections. I work with air marshals, border patrol, military, and currently I'm the only civilian to be been brought on base to the world's largest private security company. Wow. Because of my knowledge of physical mechanics. Now, the ironic part is, you know, Danny Graham, I have never been a cop. I've never been a guard in a prison. I've never been an air marshal, border patrol. I've never been in the military. But I do have a Douglas do right chin, and I have a mustache, so I look like one of them. (laughs) 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 At least least I provide you with a couple of chuckle yuck yucks. (laughs) You you have done that, I have to say, Dan. Um, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, but unfortunately we are out of time. So, 
before we let you go though um you released a book this year the realest man in the room so i'd encourage people to to pick it up online or, or check bookshops for it um it's well again i, I did not come up with that title the Realest guy yeah the Realest guy in the room the life of the dancer basically the gentleman that kind of helped coordinate by the name of ian douglas i've been i've been writing stories since probably junior high about things I've, I've seen or things I've, I've been involved with. And the ironic part is I have well over a thousand pages in this folder. And this 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 first book is, is, is such a, just a small sample. And they're just, you know, Ian was saying, he goes, you, you just got too much. He says, you got way too much. He goes, you got enough for at least three books, maybe a fourth book in there. He said, but right now, after probably the third time he kind of interviewed me and, and he was trying to lay out this off, he goes, he says, he says, you are, he says, you are one of the most brutally honest people I have ever spoke to. And he's, and, they, and he goes, and he's up on whatever, current terms and stuff like this, I guess, you know, just keeping it real and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff around there. He goes, you, he says, you definitely are the realest guy in the room. And he goes, he says, and then honestly, I mean, you think about all that I have done so far in amateur wrestling folk style, which the United States is the only country that does folk style, what I've done in freestyle wrestling, what I've done in Greco-Roman wrestling, what I've done in judo, what I've done in sambo, what I've done in uh, well, going over to Japan, working with this UW guy called the shoot fighting. I've actually jumped into a tough man contest. I uh, jumped into no holes bar fighting, transitioning into the mixed martial arts. You know, I defied the odds early in my career because at 17 years of age, I went to my first Olympic trials at 17 years of age. And then I, I did such a good job that I was brought right into the Olympic training camp as a hopeful for the future. And then well past the prime of most competitors, here I am. In the twilight of my years, I'm still climbing into cages. I'm still doing professional wrestling matches. I'm doing amateur wrestling bouts. I'm doing, and I always tell people, and I'm not done yet. I am that guy that I've, I have over four decades of competition underneath my belt. I have over 100 state, national, and or international titles and or records. There's not, there's no one else closer to me. So, the title. The realest guy in the room. Uh, it should be actually elaborated a little bit more. Probably the realest guy in the world. <laughs> and and I think it, I'm proud of the fact that I'm lifetime chemical-free. I've already outlived, I have already outlived, I think, four of my cage-fighting opponents and almost 30 of my professional wrestling partners, and none of them are older than me. It's called Lifestyle. Lifestyle choices. So, again, I don't know. I won't bore you guys any more detail because obviously you guys see I have the gift of gab. <laughs> you, you certainly do. Yeah, you'd, you'd fit right in over here in Ireland anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, Dan, look, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, I, I wish you all the best. I hope we do get to see it compete, even if it is just one more time. And um, with the, the danger zone and the beast mode rule we wish you all the best for that as well we'll definitely be tuning in January 14th um, it's going to be on pay-per-view online again oh yes yes it, it will and uh, there was a couple we had we had uh, said for first show back after a little bit of a hiatus there uh, there were a couple glitches mm. 
one of the unique things, it, it was not in effect, but it will be in effect for the next time, um, we're using some new technology to where there's a couple hard cameras that are placed and then a couple mobile cameras so that literally you as a viewer, with all these smartphones, smart TVs that are out, you as a viewer, if you don't like the angle that you're, that you're watching from, you can actually switch to camera one, to camera two, to camera three, to camera four. That is, now you take more and more uh, in control of, of you know, watching the viewing of the product. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, it's, so we're just doing some really unique things that have not been done yet, but then so I said it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy and proud to have been a pioneer of this industry, and I, I'm looking at it right now that I'm going to help change it once again. But uh, I, I will probably, I know we'll, we'll be going off there pretty quick, but I will probably be touching base with you guys at a different time because I know that I will be setting up a trip uh, to to uh, Ireland and then head right back over to Wales and then to, to England, probably sometime in the spring or summer well, of 2017. Yeah, we're more than happy for you to touch base. And, and when you're over here, we, we might try to do a point again and get that gift to the gab working in some pubs over here. But um, okay. look, in, in the meantime, Dan, thanks so much. If people want to get you on Twitter, it's um, at DanBeast7 and Facebook is DanTheBeast7. But in the meantime, yeah. thanks once again for joining us. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Dan. All the best, Dan. Take care. Yep. Dan and Graham, thank you very much. Have a good evening, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yep, bye. Dan to be Severn, ladies and gentlemen. Unbelievable. What a man. Great bloke. Look, no <laughs> point waffling. No. What to say? We go straight into the second guest. Go straight into who's our second guest? The veteran voice of the octagon, the main man himself, the smoothest, slickest operator on the UFC books, and a man who was successful in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. And what a gent! An absolute gent. We were only meant to have twenty minutes with him, and he said, "Keep rolling, guys." And he gave us forty-five. Absolute gent. Was so it forty-five in the end? Yeah, when I had it down, it down to about forty. It was an awful lot of giggling. Unreal. But he was an absolute gent. Lads, if ever you bump into him, if you're at a card, if you're going to New York or if you're going to the 207 card with Ronda Rousey's return, if you meet Bruce, tell him you heard him on the podcast and he'll buy you a point from us. <laughs> I'm putting him on the spot there. Yeah. <laughs> absolute gent. Lads, veteran voice of the Octagon, the one and only Bruce Buffer. So we've been joined now by the veteran voice of the Octagon, the main man himself, Bruce Buffer. Bruce, firstly, thanks very much for your time. Um... We're building up to arguably the biggest card in UFC history. Um, obviously, you, you've got to be very excited about that. Madison Square Garden. You know, I'm, I'm tremendously excited for a lot of reasons. You know, the UFC has created uh, so many historic moments internationally uh, as they've grown, you know, since 1993, especially since the Dana and the Fertitas took it over in 2000. And now with the new uh, regime coming in, WME and Ari Manuel and his crew, uh, there's so much more to be expected, but even with the opening of new countries and going to all these different areas and all the uh, great you know nights of excitement I've been part of, and honorably so and humbly so, um, New York and Madison Square Garden is literally the pinnacle. This is the highest point that, especially domestically here in the United States, that the UFC has achieved, that I've achieved in my career once I walk out of that octagon on November 12th. It's, it's an incredible evening, and probably... In my opinion, considering I've done pretty much every card except for about 20 in the last 20-plus years, uh, this is the greatest uh, fight card I have ever, ever seen, period. Wow. Yeah, it, it's a it's a crazy, crazy card. Um, 
obviously from our point of view we're excited to see conor mcgregor attempt to make history and take the the lightweight title um there's a few people in the, the mixed martial arts industry that garner the attention conor and, and ronda are probably the two and maybe you could argue brock lesnar as well kind of as you said 20 years in the business of announcing the ufc this year bruce so who do you like? Is there anybody you think that Conor McGregor compares to when the attention that he's brought to the sport? Well, about every six years, uh, no matter what sport, and let's talk fighting and UFC, but there's always going to be somebody that's going to come along with what we call, or what I call, the it factor. Mm. Ronda has it. Conor has it personified even beyond Ronda. Um, you know, the way his gift for gab is uh, his quick wittedness. I mean, he's a very cerebral, intelligent person. Um, Carrying the you know the pride on his shoulders of his home countrymen and and uh, I can't think of fighter that has brought so much attention to uh, fighting you know with the exception of a uh, few in boxing um, of course Michael Bisping you know he brings a lot of attention he's exciting you know I I I really enjoy you know watching Michael fight he's a friend and everything else and his career is incredible to where it's gotten today but Connor's got this just this huge hit factor and that's one of the reasons. Why last year, when I think the UFC posted a $560 million uh, gross profit, you know, it was really based on the pay-per-views mainly, which were made up of two people, Connor and Ronda. Ronda being on one pay-per-view and Connor being on two or three. I, I forget exactly. So when I introduce Connor, I always yeah. say the pride of Ireland. I yeah. always say the pride yeah. of Ireland. And, and, you know, Ireland, as they stand true and they stand tall, um, you know, it is an amazing country that gets behind their athletes, that gets behind their, their footballers, their fighters, you know, everything. And again, but he also has over on the UK, too. See, this is the beauty of Conor McGregor. They're Not robbing him, too, Bruce, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they want but, to rob yeah, they're, they're, yeah, exactly. So this is an example of the it factor because, again, the pride of Ireland, but then it stretches out to where everybody, uh, you know, is there saying, hey, Conor McGregor, represent us. I think the other thing with Conor, though, is that he's the second sharpest dresser in the entire UFC, only behind yourself, Bruce. Um, I think you, <laughs> I think you robbed your tailor as well, did he? Uh, there was a point there where Conor was using my tailor, uh, David <laughs> August, who I who I was using, and he was making some incredible outfits, you know. And uh, you know what? Conor looks great in them. He wears them well. All the more power to him, <laughs> Bruce. I just have a question in terms of your style. Um, in the early years, it was it was almost any like kind of MC or um, ring announcer. It was it, it was like an introduction. Um, yours now is a performance. How did it evolve into that performance? Is that fair to say as well? Well, I always like to say that I'm a fan first, an announcer, an announcer second. Now, when you ask me what I do for a living. I refer to myself as an announcer, but I also refer to myself as a performer. And thank you for saying that, as you did, because what happened is, you know, everything in life, including the uh, process, the evolutionary process of the UFC and and how it's grown, the process of Conor McGregor and his image and personality and how it's grown, the same thing stands true for all of us. And in my career, starting in the octagon back in 1996 at UFC 8 in Bayamon, Puerto Rico, when I did the prelims uh, for my very first shot, I knew that when I went out there that I had the voice ability to do it. I knew that I had the confidence. I was a public speaker. I, I love doing motivational speaking, and I love performing in front of people. But I also knew that considering my legendary uh, you know, brother, Michael Buffer, the greatest announcer of all time, you know, known for his famous phrase, let's get ready to rumble, yeah. I wanted to develop my own style. Okay, and I never wanted to be, as the saying goes, Frank Sinatra Jr., you know, just kind of live off the coattails of another. I decided if I was going to go into this, 
along with being Michael's manager, because I've directed and, and uh, managed Michael's career for over 25 years, I trademarked that phrase and, and made all the toys, and developed all the toys and everything out, out of it that we did together, but I'm pretty much, you know, directed his career, and I thought, if I'm going to get into announcing, because I wanted to announce from the very first day that I, I took over managing and his career and as his partner, and we discussed it, we, we agreed I would not do boxing, um, and I thought, that's okay, something's going to come along. So when I went into the Octagon for the first time, obviously seeing Michael and how he announced, seeing all the other fine announcers and how they announced, I never wanted to be Frank Sinatra Jr. I just wanted to go and develop my own style. And that's a process that continues to happen and a process that has happened over that 20-plus year period. So, yes, you are correct. When you look at the early days, I was finding myself and finding where I, where I wanted to be. And, and a lot of times, you know, I was standing still in the beginning and just using my voice because that's what all announcers do. You know, they pretty much stand still. And I, I've got this, like, lion inside me because I know fighting. I've, I've, I've stood toe-to-toe. I've fought a lot of my life. And I wanted to introduce these fighters the way I'd like to be introduced if I was fighting. And suddenly I said, you know, screw it. Let me let this go. And I had to move. And then I started to evolve from that point forward. So I look even at those old shows. And, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, a process of your voice getting better, your movements getting better. And now I would have it down to a very fine-tuned uh, personal performance for me to where I know every inch of that octagon the way a, a American basketball player knows every inch of his court or a footballer you know in in uh, Ireland knows exactly where he is on the field at all given moments in time because hmm. you become adjusted you become totally acclimated to your environment brilliant Bruce you said there a moment ago about um, how it all started with UFC 8 and when you were um, on the prelims and one of the things um, that I picked up from like looking at previous interviews that you've done and um, from your your book, It's Time, which, which came out a couple of years ago and was brilliant, by the way. Congratulations on that. Um, oh, thank you so much. I'm honored that you read it. I appreciate that. One of the interesting things that I thought came out of it, or from what I've learned about you, though, is that when you appeared in an episode of Friends, when Friends done an episode about kind of the UFC, you, were you given the part in Friends as the announcer for the UFC before you actually got the full-time gig with the UFC? Oh, yes, that's the interesting part, you know, and I, as I detailed in the book, you know, at first, when the UFC came on the scene, um, I actually, being Michael's manager and, you know, thinking about the best for my client and my brother, um, I cold called the UFC and I got them to hire Michael for UFC 6, 7, and Ultimate Ultimate. And th- at that time, the UFC was only doing three shows a year, about one every four months. So the Monday after the Saturday that we were at UFC, uh, six in in casper wyoming in the usa i knew it was going to happen i had a big contract for michael i made with the wcw wrestling which you may remember was hulk hogan and sting and all those great days of wrestling and they were paying michael a you know a tremendous amount of money a lot of quinn you know it's just a lot of money it was ted turner so pardon me it was ted turner uh yeah ted turner and but back then it was eric bischoff who was the head of the league and all and and yes with turner i negotiated the contracts with their attorneys and all and i got michael this huge deal so then uh, and more money than he made in boxing. It was just a very, very large deal. And he was doing two or three shows a month. So wow. when we were in Casper, Wyoming, they said, okay, now we want you to walk out in the octagon and say, if it's not in the octagon, it's not real. Well, when I heard that, that night at dinner with the owner, I knew, I had in my gut, I'm a poker player, so I follow my gut a lot. You know, my gut feeling is everything to me. And I knew on Monday I was going to get a phone call. And lo and behold, I got a phone call from the powers that be at WCW. You know, why are you having him do this? Because uh, remember back then, guys, we all know that, with all respect to entertainment wrestlers, I mean, they are athletes in their own right. They get hurt a lot. They got to do 100 shows or whatever a year, depending on their contracts. I have a lot of respect for them, okay? 
but it's not real fighting, and we know that. Yeah. All right. So uh, when he went out and said, "If it's not in the octagon, it's not real," they got upset because back then they wanted everybody to think that wrestling was real, you know. And when Hulk Hogan punched you in the face fifty times, you know, like you go bam, 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 you know that 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 was real. That's not real. Your face would be mashed potatoes, right? <laughs> so, so, so the bottom line is, is that they realize that now that was going against what they had him for. So. I had to call the UFC. I had him finish his three shows, and he wouldn't have been able to continue at the pace the UFC, you know, went with all his other work that I have for him. But then what I did was is um, when I had to pull him, then uh, they asked me to do uh, the prelims, as I said, at UFC 8. I did them, thought I did a good job. I was actually managing a fighter named Scott the Pitbull Ferrazzo. You remember him? Big behemoth, 340-pound monster back in those days of the Tank Abbott-type fighters, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I brought him down to uh, to buy him in Puerto Rico, but I did it for a reason. I wanted to convince him to let me announce in the octagon, and then I, I did, and then I thought, okay, when am I going to do the next show? And they didn't call me back till UFC 10, and I did UFC 10. Then they hired somebody else after that. And now I thought, wow, this is like a year now. I'm, I'm asking for this job. I'd call him up and say, look, you need me in the octagon. I'm going to help you build this brand. I've got media connections. I can you know get you publicity where you're not getting publicity, but I need to grow with the show as, an, as the announcer so I can develop my own tools. And again, it fell on deaf ears. And then they called me and they said, okay, well, Warner Brothers wants you to be in this uh, TV show we're doing, Friends. We're called the Ultimate uh, Fighting Champion with uh, John Favreau and Tank Abbott and Big John McCarthy. And you can co-star as yourself. And I said, great, I'd love to. But I had another ulterior motive. Then we got to the set. Uh, we rehearsed on Tuesday and filmed on Wednesday. I told the owner, I said, meet me for lunch. And when I met him for lunch, I basically said, look, I feel like a girl waiting for a date to the. When you be asked for a date to the prom, <laughs> you know? it's like when is somebody going to ask me to the prom? I want to be. I want to go to the prom, being the UFC. So um, I said, look, let's stop screwing around. All right, let's make a deal. Let me do every show from now on. Be the constant announcer of the UFC. I'll help you build this brand, build the sport, as well as build myself inside to be the best announcer you can be in representing, uh, you know, this great sport, which wasn't mixed martial arts at the time. We just called it, you know, uh, what we called it. <laughs> we called yeah. it whatever we called it. <laughs> So uh, that was the best poker hand I ever played, boys. That was it. <laughs> and from a man who's done quite well in the World Series of Poker, Bruce, that's saying something. Um, you're not like UFC fighters are known, obviously, for taking risks in the octagon and for getting hurt in the octagon. But um, you've done yourself a bit of damage announcing George St. Pierre once upon a time. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, how, how did that all come to be? Was it just energy you, you would hurt yourself before the fight was it and then yeah it gets back to the world of poker again because um what happened was i was at a poker tournament uh the week before and um i had gotten up during the break and you know sometimes life is dangerous but you would never think it'd be dangerous in a casino for gosh sakes <laughs> so i was walking and i hit a dip in the carpet and i rolled my ankle and when i used to kickbox you know if you roll your ankle it's like okay fine i'm good in a couple hours a couple days whatever so what happened is i could not stand on my leg the next morning I woke up with a completely swollen and engorged and purple, and I had to go to the hospital uh, and have my, my ankle drained of blood. A lot of blood had swelled up inside. So I showed up at the, at the second and final day of this poker tournament with crutches and you know on one leg, and I wound up getting third place. I actually won second or third, I forget, but I actually won $30,000, you know, <laughs> which I thought, okay, I hurt my ankle. That's great. I'm 30000 richer, but I got a big show, the biggest UFC ever in a week, and I can't stand on my damn leg. So now it's Wednesday. I finally start to stand. I finally start to hobble. I get up to Toronto. And during the show, 
Everything went great. You know, your adrenaline takes over. Yeah. Fighters are fighting. They're putting their blood, sweat, and tears on the line. Okay, I got a bad ankle. Big deal. All right? I can get out there and do my thing. Uh, I've done this show with 104-degree temperature, blown-out back, obviously a blown-out knee, which I'll go into after this. But um, when George, when I was introducing George, which was the last fight of the night, I went over to him. You know, I'd already jumped. I turned. I did everything. And then I go, George, rush. And as soon as I say rush, he lunges out, which he normally does. And I naturally habitually bunny hop back like a buck like a foot and a half which i can do i can just jump up and bunny hop back i mean it's not that hard of a move you know i've been a martial arts since i was 12 but uh when i did the bad ankle wobbled when i landed and when it wobbled the knee exploded and i went george rush saint pierre you know, it's like a, <laughs> it was like the loudest most painful pierre i ever gave in my life I, I, I severed my ACL, severed the meniscus, blew. I mean, I basically my knee exploded. So, oh. and I didn't. I, I then I walked over behind Herb Dean, who I pretty sure was the referee, and I and I put my uh, microphone under his uh, arm, you know, with uh, my octagon face on and looking all you know stoic and everything. But inside, I'm like, you stupid mofo, you just <laughs> blew your goddamn knee, you know. And I'm thinking, oh god. I get out and John McCarthy says, hey Buff, I think you just blew your ACL. No and then Stitch Duran. Brings over a bag of ice and puts it on my knee, and I'm sitting there watching Jake Shields and George St. Pierre fight their lives out, and I've got a nice bag on my knee, and I'm the friggin' announcer. I mean, does that make sense? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> and then, and then uh, before UFC 200, as I'm sure you're already aware of, you know, the night before three shows in a row, and this was last July. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the UFC hired me to go, uh, you know, have fun at a lip sync contest of all things, right? So this is the night before the three shows, which I'm on my feet like eight to ten hours a day during these shows, you know, sending down, up and down, up and down. So I came out and I did Billy Idol's Rebel Yell. And uh, when I when I jumped at the beginning of the song, a very easy jump in front of the microphone that he does, the stage was made up in sections. And the section I landed on my left leg gave way a little bit. And it caused my leg to buckle. And then I my, my good leg now exploded again. And you'll notice if you watch the video, I fall 50 seconds or so into the song, but I finish the three-minute rendition. Like I said, guys, the show must go on. I can always finish a show. But then I go to the doctor the next morning. He goes, oh, guess what? Your ACL severed. Same thing again, all over again. Now I can hardly walk, And but I got through all three shows because why? Like I said, the show must go on. And I'm rehabbing my knee right now. I'm not getting operated on because I don't want to miss any shows, and it's all going well. And you definitely don't want to miss New York. No, I don't want to miss New York, but I think I'm the only announcer in this friggin' world that's given body parts to the UFC. Or to <laughs> I'm the announcer. Hey, I'm not fighting. It's crazy. It's my Bruce, fault, obviously. I often wonder, um, the UFC is breaking kind of new territories around the world, and uh, there's a lot of fighters who have strange and peculiar uh, pronunciation of their names. H- how do you get around that? Well, we as a whole group, commentators, myself, uh, the fighters before fights will speak into like a recording, say their name. A lot of times you can't understand how they're saying it because they're from their native tongue. Uh, but then I basically, let's say it's uh, Mike Goldberg or it's John Anik and Brian Stan, whatever. We get together before and we make sure in sync with the names. But I, I basically, if I have questions, I'll go to the fighters themselves because I want to make sure that I get the names right. Very good. I mean, that's, but bottom line, okay, it's, it's not rocket science what I do, um, but it is it is the trick is to make it look easy yeah you know when you're out doing what you do but look your job is to know the name so it's you know it's a it's a major major requirement of an announcer to know what they're saying and did you have an issue with pronouncing uh ashley daly irish fighter ashley daly's name 
No, if I remember correctly, I did actually fine. No, you did no. fine, but I'm just wondering, because the spelling is quite peculiar of the first name, I was wondering if you had to prep yourself a bit extra for it. Oh, well, the way you do it, have you ever seen, uh, I put my fight cards on eBay about 13 times for sale for, you know, pros, partial proceeds go to charity and such. Well, um, yeah. Yeah, and they sold anywhere from like 700 to as much as $5,000 for the Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo uh, fight cards. Wow. Well. But if you, yeah, that's crazy. Um, but if you look at the fight cards, you'll see that I write the names phonetically. Oh, very good. Which means that, I, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to write her name as it's spelled. I'm going to write it as it sounds. So that way it reminds me. If you notice, I rarely look at my cards when I'm announcing. Yeah. But, I pre- <laughs> but I pre-prep myself going into the octagon, so that's a reminder to me of how to say her name. And I've got to do that phonetic spelling with a lot of the, uh, you know, the Russians. And, and the Japanese are relatively easy. Asians are not as hard as they may seem. But the Russians and uh, you know, Ukrainians and stuff, it gets, a little, it gets a little crazy. And some of your cities over there in Ireland – Excuse me, and the UK. <laughs> I, I definitely got to get down. I remember when I first said Glasgow, I said Glasgow, you know, but it's Glasgow. So I, so if you look at my card, it's G L A S dash G O. Will you be, uh, will you be on duty in Belfast, Bruce? Uh, I'm sorry to say that I'm not. I love Ireland. I have so much fun there, and plus, I'd probably drink more Guinness there in two days than I do in a year. <laughs> But they're sending me down to uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and oh, you know yeah. I love Brazil also. I, I listen. I love the UFC. I'm not one of the powers that be, but I just still can't get behind my mind why we have two UFCs in the same day, splitting forces. But you know what? It's not my. As Rudyard Kipling said, it's not to reason why. It's but to do or die, and that's my that's my role. So <laughs> I have to go to Brazil. That's where they're sending me. I wish I was going. I, I'll be honest with you guys. I really do wish I was in Belfast. I want to be there. I love performing. Uh, for the Irish UFC fans and for Ireland, it's incredible. You make so much noise. Ten thousand yeah. of you sound like fifty thousand. It's incredible. <laughs> so you, you you tweeted when when Conor versus Diego Brandao uh, fought in Dublin and the the noise was out of out of control. You tweeted you were, you must have been watching it, were you? And you were envious that you weren't there. Oh yeah, because I wanted to blow the roof off that arena. I would have taken it to another level. No disrespect for uh, the announcer that did it at the time, but it's just that you know that's what announcers live for is to be able to perform and. And be able to get out in front of like amazing, uh, you know, sold out audiences of fan bases, and that's what happens every time we go to Ireland. It's incredible, and I, ju- I just, I laugh. You guys crack me up. We have so much fun. I like hanging with the locals when I'm there. So <laughs> I, it's, it's a trip that's going to be missed. But I'll be back. I'll be back. We had, we had good crack with you. Myself and Danny had good crack with you. Um, after the weigh-ins for McGregor uh, Poirier, we have a photo that we might tag you in on Twitter later. Yeah, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Um, Bruce, we're, we're running out of time with you, uh, which is a pity. You guys, go ahead. Take, go ahead, take another ten minutes, whatever. It's all right. Oh, brilliant! Thank you. Um, well, in that case, um, is there any fighter, Bruce, that you would have loved the chance to have got to announce, but you haven't? Like maybe a Fedor, or um, we're going to have Dan Severn on the podcast later on. I'm not sure if your time um, would have overlapped what went Dan was fighting with the UFC, but anybody like that that you would have loved the chance to have given them an introduction that you haven't got to do yet. Well, you got to remember, guys, that I started back at UFC 6, and then I was, uh, you know, 6, excuse me, 8. And while, I was, while the UFC was building, I was also announcing everybody else's shows. I mean, if there was an MMA show, I was getting the call, can you be here, can you be there? I have announced Dan Sever. I have announced Fedora Milianko. I uh-huh. announced him at, uh, at uh, Kobe, Japan, at the Bumbaye event back in 19... Uh, back in 2003, I think it was. And on that same show night... Uh, and I wrote about it in the book. Um, 
Overeem was there back when he was fighting, you know, around 210 pounds. I think he just he was just born or something. So <laughs> <laughs> I think he just came out of the womb and started fighting. <laughs> and then and then uh, Leota Machida that night. That was a great night of fights. And I write in the book at the after party. I not only announced Fedor Emelianco, but he and his brother almost broke my arms at the after party. If you remember that part in the book when I, we had two beautiful redheaded twin uh, ring car girls that night. And at the after party, which was New Year's Eve, uh, it was incredible. I mean, it was like lobster and cristal champagne. It was just, it was an amazing setup. They, they spared no expense. And here's these two beautiful girls. So as is my nature at times, I wanted to go say hello and went over and <laughs> talked. And, and uh, Fedor came over and said something in you know Russian or whatever, and then called his brother over. And uh, his brother looks like, you know, if he's not fighting, he's breaking arms or lifting cars off the ground somewhere. <laughs> so they both grabbed my arms and they and they put him in an, in an arm lock and and Fedor looked at me and said, "Bruce, do we have problem?" And I'm like, thinking for a second. Then my streak kicks in and I'm like, "Uh oh, I'm talking to the wrong girls." So I, no, 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 Fedor, everything's great, man. Happy New Year, Happy New Year, Fedor. Always good to see you. And, they, and he, he says, "Okay, good." He goes, "Good, I." like you and then all of a sudden he said something in russian to his neanderthal behemoth of a brother and, and <laughs> it, it was nice enough to let go of my arm and then i walked back over and there's josh barnett and rico Ciparelli and and a, and a bunch of other guys and and i'm like they're all laughing and i go what are you laughing about he goes do you realize how close you were to being a cripple and i'm like well where the hell were you guys and they go we were over here we were right over here <laughs> that is hilarious well i've actually forgotten all about that story but one story that uh that springs to mind as well, just based on that, was the um, Lee Murray and Tito Ortiz incident um, in London. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't can you because I'm not sure if any of our listeners or many of our listeners would know about it, but you kind of gave your story of events on that. Um, the story goes at least that Tito Ortiz got knocked out by Lee Murray. Um, can, can you give us kind of a, a brief run through of that event? Well, you know, it's funny you mention this because right, I'm holding in my hand, I have a lot of memorabilia, and I'm holding in my hand an invitation to the UFC VIP after party, uh, which is uh, you and a guest are invited to the brawl at the Royal Albert Hall private party at China White, <laughs> which is where this happened. And this is, this is signed by Tito Ortiz, myself, and uh, I can't tell who the other signature is, but that night... Um, we were all, you know, after the after the event, uh, Chuck Liddell, Tito, and I, we were all partying in there. You know, we'd had our fun. We were, you know, enjoying our vodka the whole bit. And when we walked out, we were laughing and everything else. And there was uh, Pat Milicic with one of Tito's buddies on his back, you know, and they were playing around. And, and his buddy uh, had his, had Pat in a rear naked choke. And then somebody came up. I, I, I'm trying to remember who it was. I couldn't really point it to it. But I think it came out that it might have been Tony Fricklin, the fighter. But... Uh, he basically cold cocked Bo, who was on Pat's back. Bo fell down. Uh, every all, all hell began to you know just go crazy. A taxi cab actually drove over Bo's arm. And um, what happened was is that Tito went to the right and Chuck went to the left. Now I've always said if I'm going to be in a street fight, and no disrespect to Tito because he's one tough guy. There's no question. Tito's super, super, super tough. Chuck is beyond super tough. <laughs> and 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 I always said, if I'm going to be in a street fight and I want two guys to back me up, it's going to be Chuck Liddell and Boss Root. Well, here was my chance, right? So now it's not me getting backed up by them. It's time to watch Chuck's back because Chuck just was walking. It was like out of a movie. 
throwing a punch here, a guy goes down. A punch to the right, a guy goes down. A hammer fist on top of a guy's head, the guy goes down. People are going after his back, and I'm just keeping people from his back. So I didn't see what happened to Tito, okay? But I heard afterwards that uh, he squared off with Lee Murray, and um, supposedly, uh, you know, there were cobblestones and not exactly good sure footing, and and I think Tito threw a punch or whatever. Lee Lee uh, hit him a couple times. Tito went down, and then I heard he got kicked. But then I then I was told, and again, this is still up for conjecture, that uh, Matt Hughes like jumped in and covered Tito, and the, and it was over. But then the Bobbies came, and you know it was my turn to talk to the police and. Uh, I pretty much, you know, talked to them and, and wound up going back to the hotel with Tito and, and Bo and everybody in the car. But there was a lot of bad feelings that night between the Pat Militich camp and Tito Ortiz's camp. Wow. But it's all calmed down. It's all calmed down since then. But, yeah, that was Lee Murray. He's got to make an entrance. <laughs> um, Bruce, one of the b- biggest things that happened in Irish MMA history was when Conor McGregor knocked out um, Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. Um, there's some good footage of your reaction, um, which... To tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looked like you were kind of going, "Is this over? What what just happened there? Would, would that be fair to say? What do you remember from that?" Yeah, I mean, the buildup was so big. That, you know, you want to see a great fight, but obviously, getting knocked out in 13, 13 seconds is a great fight for Connor. But you know, I just sat down, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> so you did have time what? to sit down. <laughs> I well, I think one cheek hit the hit the <laughs> chair. The other one wasn't even down yet. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know, I, I, that look that was on my face at that moment, I sure, I'm sure, represented the look of thousands of fans in the audience <laughs> at that time. It's like, holy hell, you know, that's the last we expected. But that just continued to write what is an historic uh, history, nowhere near done yet, for the great Conor McGregor. You know, and I say great because I'll tell you one thing I remember about Conor. I have a lot of respect for Conor. I like Conor. I'm a friend, a professional friend. Um, he's been nothing but respectful to me as I've been to him. But I remember, not but, but along with that, years ago, we were doing a, a UFC in Ireland. And I remember this young kid, probably 19 years old, whatever, and he looks at me, he didn't have a beer, and he goes, my name is Conor McGregor. Remember it. He'll be <laughs> announcing me someday. Right? <laughs> what does that tell you? That tells you that this man has focus. He knew where he was going. He had a dream. He had a goal. And he's full, he hasn't fulfilled it. He's fulfilling it. He has a lot more to go, a long way to go. Connor, I said it before Lorenzo Fertitta went public and said it. I take pride in this. I actually said it a couple days before he did, and I'll stick to it. Connor McGregor will be the first UFC fighter to make $100 million, well, without question. Yeah, that's crazy. That's, gonna, that's, only a couple, that's only a couple years away, gentlemen. Yeah, he's yeah. already made like 40, so you know, just think about it. And he's from a little rock in the Atlantic Ocean. That's it. That's it. Well, that's a little rock that's one of the toughest rocks that I know. Because <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've never met an Irishman that won't throw down after a couple of pints, my friend. And <laughs> win, win or lose, you guys are tough. There's no question. History proves it. History does prove it. Brilliant, brilliant, Bruce. Um, before we let you go, first, th- thanks again so much for joining. It's, it's joining us, it's been a pleasure. But if people want to hear you, not just announce the Conor McGregor's and the Ronda Rouseys and you know the Cain Velasquez's of this world, if somebody wants to hear you say their name in only the way you can as the best in the business, how can they do that? Well, my website. BruceBuffer.com, and thank you for your kind words. My website, BruceBuffer.com, uh, just go check it out there. You can hear my podcast. My It's Time podcast is there, which is weekly. I've Brilliant podcast, by the way, as well, I have to say. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Are you listening to the Sex and Relationship Show? <laughs> I, I've, I've listened to pretty much all of them at this stage. Sometimes you get some colorful questions in there, yeah. 
Yeah, well, you know, like I said, we talk about what you think about, but we're afraid to avoid it. Just don't worry. I'll talk about it for you, okay? <laughs> no problem. So with that being said, now, there you can also go and you can, um, uh, for $99, which I've been paid on an average three to 500 for, uh, for an audio and video, I've been paid thousands for, but I made it two ninety nine. I know it's, I know that's a fair amount of money, but it's very inexpensive because there are costs involved. But uh, I do a championship recording, and you can go um, and fill out the simple form, hit a button, it'll pay through PayPal, and you put down like the city you're from, your nickname, your title. Uh, it doesn't matter what titles it are. I'm not going to use curse words, but I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you ask uh, within reason. And then I send you back a real championship introduction, and basically uh, the fans have been loving it. I, they, they've been flying in like wildfire, and what really gets me is not, not so much the money. It's because it's I donate partial proceeds to my favorite charities, too, which are uh, military charities, children's charities, and animal charities. Oh, brilliant. And Yeah, yeah it's, it's a big thing with me. And anything for the kids and the animals, and of course, anything for the military. Whether they're from your country or mine, I will do everything I can for the military men and women. Um, the bottom line is, is that uh, the thank you notes that I receive. I get, honestly, guys, I get sometimes I get teary eyed. It's incredible. And what really uh, blows me away is when I do weddings because I, yeah. I specialize in weddings. And to light somebody's day up and to be part of their special day—that's an honor. Are, you're that's still doing weddings, honor. are you, Bruce? Oh my gosh, I do them every week. Yeah, I love oh, wow. weddings. They're great. I just did. I did uh, what two earlier this week, and when I say earlier this week, I did two yesterday. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> And last week, I, I can't even remember, I said a batch. But what, we what, set aside... What's involved in you doing the, in, the, in the wedding? You just announced the bride and groom, is it? Or? Well, it's, it's, you know, when they, every part of a wedding is when the wedding party is walking into the reception, right? Yeah. And, and I'll do everything from a long uh, recording where I'm introducing the bridesmaids and the grooms, uh, the groomsmen, you know, and then the mother and father. And then, of course, then now it's time for the bride and groom to walk in. So I give them the big championship introduction with nicknames and... You know, something like, you know, uh, standing five feet, six inches tall, weighing in at whatever the hell she wants. You know, like that. <laughs> and, then, and then I'll, and now, walking down the aisle of love forever. <laughs> and then we go from there. Brilliant. You, know, I'll, I'll, you want me to play one of the championship recordings for you? Yeah, yeah go yeah. on, give people a sample yeah. of what they can get, yeah. I think I've got one here. I tell you, I, I'm a, I popped a question recently. I think I'll have to have a word at the fiance, Bruce, and let her know how things are going to go on the wedding day because uh, it sounds Yeah, sounds why cool. not? I'll, I'll help you out. I'll make you the man of the house. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad somebody really, will. Here, here, let me see if this comes through. I just And now, introducing the champion fighting out of the red corner. This man is a striker holding an unbeated professional record of 12 wins with no losses. He stands six feet tall, weighing in at 250 pounds, fighting out of Newcomerstown, Ohio, USA, presenting the heavyweight champion of the world, Jacob the Red Dragon, Mason! Yes. Love it, Bruce. So what it is is that, you know, it can be adapted to things, but that way you've got a little keepsake for the rest of your life. That's if, you know, that's if you enjoy my work. If you hate me, you better not pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> what, do your neighbor, what do your neighbors say when they hear you all the time? Uh, luckily, um, I, I have a, a lovely home, my, my dream home for myself for the rest of my life on a nice corner 
uh, high up overlooking everything and no neighbors here. So it's all good. They can't hear anything. Amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. Beautiful. Bruce, um, look, again, thank you so, so much. Um, not just for the podcast, but as Graham said earlier, we, we've had the pleasure of meeting you personally. And I'm sure to speak for all the other um, Irish UFC fans and uh, whoever's met you. I've never heard anybody have a bad word. You always have time for the fans, which is amazing. So thanks for that as well. And look, all the best. Um, I hope 205 is, lives up to the history and everything else. But in the meantime, thank you so you, much. You'll be everything. announcing Pride of Ireland, Conor McGregor, as the new champion. <laughs> Listen, it's going to be an amazing night. I love that line, the Pride of Ireland. Um, I have to say again... And I just want to butter Ireland's bread. Uh, you guys are amazing. The fact that you come over here in the droves to see your countrymen fight, uh, the fact that you fill the arenas when we come over there, your hospitality, how nice you are to us, whether I see you on your home turf or on my turf. I can't say enough for Ireland, uh, gentlemen. I love, I love visiting. I love partying over there. I love having fun. And as you know, when you met me, I'll, I'll break bread with you any chance I get. And the pints are on me when you see me next time. You know that. Love it. We, Thanks, we will Bruce. hold you to that, Bruce. We Thank you very much. You better hold it to me. Bruce Buffer, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, sir. Hi, right, cheers. Thank you, boys. Thank All you. the best. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The legendary, the veteran voice of the octagon, Bruce Buffer. That was unbelievable. Man, we're getting one of them recordings, one each, <laughs> and we're just going to play it everywhere we walk in. How long was that? Uh, 35 minutes, thereabouts. It was only supposed to have 20. He seems to like Ireland, seems to like the UK. I think he should move over here. Yeah, absolutely. That was brilliant, man. Brilliant. Bruce Buffer. <sighs> Gent. Lads, get a recording done. It'll change our life by the sound of it. Yeah. Unbelievable. We were buzzing there. Was the adrenaline was man. rushing when that he was doing that. I thought he was going to play the record, and I thought he was going to play, but then he actually done it. I was like, whoa, whoa that's live. <laughs> Amazing. What an absolute gent. Oh, man, two guests. Two guests, and when we, two prestigious Two MMA prestigious guests. guests. Never thought we'd get Bruce Buffer, man. What the hell? Incredible, man. Absolutely incredible. Um, Not to mention the beast. Dan the Beast Severn. Unbelievable. Um, if you're not already, lads, follow them on the Twitter. Bruce Buffer is just at Bruce Buffer on Twitter. Absolute gent. And um, Dan Severn, Dan the Beast Severn on Facebook, he tends to post a lot of videos and does a lot of live Q&As. Um, and on Twitter, he is Dan Beast Severn. Check them out. We are at WTS Pod on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Podbean, anywhere and everywhere it's podcast, lads. We're there. Just search for it. Hit like, hit subscribe, give us a rate or a review or whatever the case may be. Just do it. <laughs> That's me warming up for Belfast, you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Graham's at America Mania. I'm at Dan Joe Murray. That's it. Come on, McGregor. Come on, Ireland. Let's go. Unbelievable. And Ireland, new. Ireland versus the world. It's going to be a long day. I'm Hashtag be, and new. Going to need a bit of a, a nap. And I'll just, oh, it's going to have to be naps. Yeah. Naps and a 2am Domino's. Hashtag don't tell Lindsay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gluten free. Gluten free. <laughs> um, unbelievable. Thanks, Dan Severn. Thanks, Bruce Buffer. Thanks, Graham Merrigan. Thanks, Danny Murray. Until next week with the brilliant Pajo Flynn. Yes, oh Pajo. Too sweet, man. Too sweet. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose.